Hey everyone, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for listening. Um, it's fall. Oh boy, what a fun year it's been, right? Um, I thought I would give a little update because I think my last one was real grim. The good news is nothing's getting better. Um, this is still very much the worst year um, that many of us can remember. And and if you've been listening to the Writers Panel episodes these past six months, six to 18 months, um, you will hear that sentiment being expressed over and over again. And I guess the good news is that you're not alone. Uh, it feels impossible right now. Uh, people who should be working are not working. People who are trying to break in, it feels like it's dire. It feels like there's no hope. That's not true. There is always hope. Um, I do genuinely believe that the biggest asset you can have in this business, whether you've broken in or whether you know you are continuing to break in or whether you are just sort of hoping to ride out this current situation, um, whatever that is, is tenacity. Uh, tenacity and talent will out. Um, on top of that, be a good person. If people like you, they're going to want to hire you. Do the work, be nice, and hang in there is kind of what it comes down to. I genuinely believe that's true. It's been an insane few years. Like We keep coming back to talking about how right now it is the worst it's ever been, and that's true. But things have been abnormal since at least 2019 when uh, we had the agency campaign, which was absolutely the right thing to do. And I think we were proven out that it was the right thing to do. But, you know, we had a year without agents or over a year without agents. And then we had a pandemic and then we still have a pandemic. Uh, and then we have a bunch of new streamers who, you know, are figuring themselves out along with the existing streamers who are figuring themselves out in a new landscape. Um, all of that creates uncertainty and that's a tough marketplace. It's a tough marketplace to sell anything in, and it's a tough marketplace to try to get staffed in. I'm thrilled that people are getting staffed. I'm thrilled that people are selling shows. Uh, it really makes me so happy to see someone getting their first staffing job on a show uh, when I see that stuff pop up on Twitter. So let me know when that's you, you know? Um, it, it really makes me feel good that people are getting their breaks. Um, and there's no reason that couldn't be you. Uh, keep at it. That's what we can do. Uh, it's going to be a quiet couple of months. Uh, I do believe that. Uh, there's always a flurry of activity at the end of the year. I'm sure this year will be no different, um, but it will also be wildly different. You know, it's, it's such uncertain times. Um, but I think, you know, it's going to be quiet these next couple months and it's going to be difficult to get anything off the ground. So work on your scripts. That's the best thing you can do through early next year. Work on your scripts. Get your stuff done. It's what I'm trying to do. You know, we're out with a couple of pitches and we would love for someone to pick them up. Hey, if you're a buyer and you want to make a movie or TV show, let me know. We have stuff. Um, but mostly, you know, we're getting excited about working on new things. Um, we just keep churning out material because it seems like the best thing you can do, right? It's, it's the only thing you can control. And then, you know, you worry about the market later. Um, 
write the thing that you think no one wants to see. I think on a recent episode, we sort of had that conversation that, you know, the shows we were talking about were shows that nobody wanted for years. Uh, and that the writer's representative said, don't write this, I can't sell it. Well, that's the thing to write now. Uh, nobody, Nobody's interested in a down-the-middle softball. I'm sure some people are, but it's, you know, it's hard to get excited about that stuff. Write the thing you love. Write the thing you want to do. Write the thing that is your voice. Write the thing that only you can write. And then take stuff in. Read stuff. Read books. Read novels. Um, watch TV. Watch the weird stuff. Watch the stuff that everyone's talking about. Watch the stuff that no one's talking about. Just get more input. Fuel for the fire. Um, you know, that's why we ask at the end of every episode what everyone's watching on TV these days. Because that stuff, you know, is input. Anyway, uh, I thank you for your continued listenership. Um, do me a favor, please follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker and let's talk about writing. It's I love doing it. I still love doing this show. I think we're up to 500 official episodes and we're actually well over 500 episodes unofficially. And if you do like the show, please do me a favor, leave a review on iTunes. It's really helpful for getting advertisers, which is the only way we can keep the show going. Uh, there's a lot of work involved with the show, especially because we can't go to the studio anymore. Uh, and we're just doing this over various uh, interfacing platforms. So we, we do need to pay engineers and stuff like that. So go leave a review on iTunes, please. That was really helpful. Um, keep listening. We have some cool stuff coming up. Um, and as always, let me know on Twitter or on Facebook what shows you're watching and who else we should get for the podcast. I'm always looking for great new material to watch and great new writers to talk to until that's you. Yeah, that could be you. Come on. I love when I get new writers on uh, the podcast and they say they've been listening to the show for, you know, five years. That is incredibly flattering and makes it feel worthwhile. So thanks. Come on the show. Go sell a show, then come on this show. All right. Uh, enjoy this episode. It's a good one. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to talk to the writer-directors of Beta Test, Jim Cummings and PJ McCabe. Thank you guys for taking the time to chat. Congrats on the movie. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure Thank to be you. here. Um, it is out now wherever you rent your streaming movies. Uh, folks can find it. Um, and they should. It's really good. Um, let's talk about where this came from. What is wrong with you two? Yeah, uh, a lot. <laughs> Lots of things, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, How, what was the seed of this? Yeah, we had the idea for the purple envelope letter service that would connect people to have affairs uh, anonymously. And it was just interesting to the two of us. PJ and I are both very monogamous. Um, and we thought it would be an interesting cautionary tale, like a Twilight Zone episode. And we wrote it uh, with just that in mind. And then we realized that the movie was about lying and cheating, so it should probably take place in a talent agency. And we had to do about three or four more months of work after realizing that it should be about this WGA packaging fight 
um, and studio fight uh, just to be able to get the language right and find out what it was like on the inside of these agencies while um, the walls were coming down around them. Uh, and then we did some research about big data and how you'd actually connect people and do this letter service. And it became this kind of like trifecta of fun ideas that would, you know, add up to this guy's nervous breakdown. And that was interesting to us. Yeah, it originally was supposed to be uh, like a like a very simple horror movie that would be all one location, and then it just snowballed into a much more complicated story. But I'm glad it did. Well, let's let's talk about that and like how you, as writers, early on start to like grapple with all of these things that want to be part of the story. What were the conversations like between the two of you, and how did you start to wrangle all of these ideas into a coherent whole? Yeah. So the way that PJ and I work is all through thousands of conversations. So in the beginning, it was just long phone calls and hangout sessions and trips to the bar. Um, and it was just us talking out loud about what would happen next. And it was interesting to us where we had the idea for the character and kind of the outline of what we'd want the plot to be. And then it just became ironing that out. So we wrote this like 57 page draft in screenplay format after we had the beat sheet outline. And then we had to go back and, you know, make, make it perfect. And so we had to add all of these things that were um, far more interesting than we had in the outline just from research. Um, but no, we use Google Docs a lot. We're like, we'll have these conversations and PJ and I will take notes of the scenes and then we'll organize them in the Google Doc um, to be kind of closer to chronological order for the movie or screenplay format. And then we'll go away and then write it. So like we'll have usually a long table and we use writer duet. So PJ's on one side of the table with the screenplay format open and I'm on the other side. And then we just act the scenes out out loud um, a bunch until it's any good. And um, that has been really helpful to us. We didn't learn that in film school. We actually kind of advised against doing it that way, but it was working for us in our first two features. And for this one, we just like leaned full tilt into it because it was funny and we were laughing the whole time. Yeah, I think what really draws us to something is, yeah, if, if it's making us laugh, I mean, for this project specifically, it kind of stood out because we were just having so much fun with this world and writing it and watching these guys go fall into this like crazy, uh, being way over their heads with whatever the hell is happening in the city. And uh, I don't know, I think we just, we start having more and more fun with it and uh, just keep leaning into it, beefing it up from there. Were there... I'm curious to know, like, what was picked up and discarded along the way? Because, again, it seems like there are, like, so many ideas, so much, there's so much fun stuff in this that you must have <laughs> left so much on the cutting room floor, even in the writing process. Uh, I'm trying to think. PJ, did we have anything that was, like, not a, do this? Not a ton. I mean, we were talking the other night about, like, cutting the Oppenheimer bit, but, like, oh, yeah, I mean, that was more, right. I mean, that was more just, like, stuff uh just from shooting but i mean overall bigger ideas i don't think there were any like plot points that we completely shifted out uh that i can think of i think we yeah, were able no. to i mean we got a heck of a lot in the 90 minutes so i think i don't know yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know if we really had much room for for much more there's a lot going on I, I don't think we yeah but i don't think there were like entire elements of it that we had to cut on early drafts yeah. i'm trying to think there was a, that, that oppenheimer monologue was really good so it's like after the bar yeah. scene with pj and me where he like kind of does the the full data dump of what happened when the first bomb went off at alamogordo where they're all in this bunker and the you know j robert oppenheimer surrounded by generals 
and it's a weird scene. Uh, and then the bomb goes off and they had no idea what was going to happen. They thought it could have like detonated the atmosphere. They had like no idea what was going to happen. And um, the first thing that he said wasn't like, you know, hooray, you know, he said it worked. And then the shockwave came and knocked everybody down. And I just thought that was so interesting in talking about like how you can create this new technology and then you don't realize the effects that it can have on it. It felt very poignant for PJ's character to say this, but it took, you know, a minute and a half or like 45 seconds. Uh, and at the end of that scene, the audience wants to jump into this next sequence because the next sequence is going to be me talking on the phone and this like kind of long drawn out talking thing. And so it felt like too much talking and we cut that whole thing, but I feel like it works better now. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, yeah, the scene, there's already so much exposition going on in that scene and there's already so much. I mean, I, I was bummed because my acting was impeccably good. Uh, and so <laughs> it, it was, was frustrating to have to cut it. But, but no, it was the right move because it just, yeah, it was taking way too long to get out of that scene. That makes sense. Um, does knowing that you guys are, is do you write without knowing that you're going to direct something? Uh, or is that always the assumption when you launch into a project? I mean, the way that we do it, I mean, there's stuff that I've written before that I think are just cool stories that I haven't directed yet. But as of now, like the way that we write is we write, we do the doable. We write something that we know that we can do. Um, that way we're not spending time daydreaming. Like when we were coming up in Hollywood, we just saw all of our friends falling off of this cliff of daydreaming and writing projects that were way too big for them or way too big for them to execute. And so you know, working with Vanishing Angle for the last three features we've worked on and all of our short films, um, it's just, you know, we write something that we know that we can pull off for a small budget or whatever the budget is that we need to raise. And so really, no, the projects that we're writing right now are just slightly above the level of what we've done before or something small enough that we know that we can do on our own. I guess, yeah, that's sort of where my question was leading is like, <laughs> as I was watching this movie, I was like, how how do you get someone to pay for making this? <laughs> because it is not an obvious yeah. like hooky thing. It's you know like it's a great concept yeah. and it's full of ideas, but it's not an easy sell right now. Yeah, no, no. I mean we never would have been able to. Like, I mean, there was there. Was, I don't think there was ever really a moment we were like, oh, let's go try to like pitch this to studios and see if we can get like a bigger. I think we knew there was no way in hell we were like anyone was ever going to green like this insane script. We didn't send it to um, anybody. It, we didn't send the yeah, script we to our, our management. Yeah. We didn't send it to uh, anybody. I don't think we, we ever even we, tried. It, it would have yeah. been a waste of time. Do they know it's out there? Are they mad at you? Uh, yeah, they, now they do. I mean, yeah, we've had we've had we've had an agent <laughs> quit in the last uh, three <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, the cats, um, cats out true? of the bag of it. So we're kind of yeah, we're, that is true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um, so uh, so um, yeah, no. I mean, really, the way that we financed the movie was through a crowd equity platform, which is like. Kickstarter, uh, except you're selling shares to the public. So we raised 350 grand in 12 days selling shares of the company of the film to strangers on the internet, uh, legitimately. I think the only people that wow. we knew were like our buddies, Lee and Cindy, uh, and then PJ's dad, uh, who came in as a very small investor. Um, but no, for the most part, it's just, it was just strangers who loved the idea of working with us. And we made a cool video and 
I think it's kind of the future for us. Like, obviously, the movie is the most successful film on the WeFunder platform, and we were able to and you know get in the black with the company for you know the first two weeks of it being available on the market. So uh, yeah, I think really that could be the future for independent film, certainly ours, um, where anybody can set up a campaign and raise the funds they need to make a movie. That's wild and really impressive. Congrats. Does it change the way you think about creating stuff going forward? Yeah. I mean, it's always nice. We're like, even, even in the worst case scenario, like we could still go back and do that. And that is unbelievable. Like the fact that we can make something with now friends on the internet and have it play at the biggest film festivals in the world, like Berlinale and Tribeca, and then get distributed with one of our favorite distributors on the planet. Like, that is just such a success story. So, I mean, having completely circumvented the Hollywood system to make this movie, when we if we think we are going to get canceled or whatever, we can always do that again. You know, if we're going to get blacklisted, um, we can still just go to our friends on the internet. Um, so, yeah, I think it is going to change that, and I hope other people follow in our footsteps to like make riskier movies that you can't make in the studio system and entertain audiences. Um, I don't know. I think really the internet is changing everything. It's fully democratizing the way that media gets made and released, certainly. Um, and anybody can do it. Yeah, I think even if someone came and magically gave us just like a pile of money to go do so, I think we'd still always go back to do it this way, to do kind of our smaller, you know, side, funny, weird movies and stuff. Cause, yeah, because you can control it and nobody can tell you any different and give you notes and tell you to change characters for no reason. Yeah. Um, and if yeah. we tell the story that needs to be told and and looking at your track record you know these these last three movies that have been made like you're proving it out these are really good movies wow. um Thank you, you know what you're doing um <laughs> do you, and pj you were you were saying against before all that, the odds <laughs> yeah you you fool we've got you we've tricked you honestly after uh, wolf of snow hollow you've you've got me for anything Very you cool. want to do um cool. nice uh, PJ, you were saying you guys shot this um, a couple of years ago now. Um, yeah. And Crazy. so you spent the pandemic in post-production. Um, were you also, did you also start writing? I mean, you know, I imagine like ideas are, ideas don't stop, you know, just because you're working on a thing or you're in post-production on a thing. What is the, we, I, I feel like part of the fun of what we get from you guys is we don't know what's coming next. So, but what conversations take place while you're working on something? Do you talk about the next things? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, we can't really help ourselves. I mean, we, our slate is way too full because of that. Cause I feel like every time we get together, we start getting excited about a new idea. We're like, well, no, wait, shoot. Well, we gotta, we gotta finish this one first. It's, it's easy to get sidetracked. And we spread ourselves very thin sometimes, but I don't know. We just, there's a lot of funny stuff we want to do and I want to be <laughs> able to get to it all eventually. It's just a matter of which one we do first, but I don't know. I mean, the fact that we can just keep doing them and hopefully get to them all makes me feel better, <laughs> but yeah, you have to, you have to talk about them. Um, it's yeah, it's impossible yeah. not to. So we spent 16 months doing the edit and sound design and mix and color correction VFX on this movie to get it done for Berlinale. And then um, we wrote, once that was kind of done, the movie was kind of done. Um, and then we wrote a feature that's kind of this like love letter to American journalism. It's really beautiful about a YouTuber uh, who runs a YouTube news show with his mom. 
uh, as beautiful. And then PJ and I have been talking about and like workshopping and doing the beat sheet for this Victorian horror movie um, that we really want to do. But we've been talking about it for two years. It's the longest gestation period we've had in screenwriting, even though we haven't started writing in screenplay format yet. But we start writing in screenplay format tomorrow, um, which is crazy to say out loud. But <laughs> yeah. Um, but Exciting yeah, so, and nerve wracking. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, really, the majority of the writing that PJ and I do is never in screenplay format. It's almost mm -hmm. always out loud in long form conversations and research for like years before we write it down. And then we write it down. It's very forensic. It's like, oh yeah, no, this joke has to be here. Like we kind of know the movie before we sit down and write it. It makes yeah, a lot of I sense. I mean, a lot. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's not, that's not, I think, not an unusual process, oh, especially for, well, you know, when you work with a partner, which, which I do too, oh, like sure. there's so much throwing ideas around. There's so much talking about stuff before you actually set pen to paper or, or, or whatever it is. Um, what uh, do you guys have? I mean, you know that you are digging in on the screenplay format tomorrow. <laughs> do you have like a schedule that you keep yourselves to when it's time to write? I mean, it's honestly based on like our own biology. So, I mean, no, but it's like, if, it's like how much coffee have we had? How much wine have we had? Do we need yeah. to go for a long walk? Do the dogs need water? Like all of that kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, and then we usually just get the vomit draft out quickly. It's very scary. It's like, it's not, um, it's fun to do because you're racing through it with your best buddy um, and finally enacting the movie. It's like it's like you're watching the movie when you're writing it and it's very exciting. Um, so I don't know. I think really it's based on just how we feel. And if one of us gets very tired, then it's like, all right, let's take a break. Let's sit in the hot tub for a minute. Or, you know, like uh, there, there are ways that we can kind of decompress and then get back into it. It's been wonderful. Yeah, it's nice to have somebody to, you know, when somebody is just not really feeling it, you know, you can be like, all right, well, come on, let's just get through this scene. Like, let's just get to this part and then we can stop for the day or or not. Or, but if somebody's checked out, you're not going to write good stuff. Like, so you can't yeah. force it. Like, you can tell yeah. when somebody's like, yeah, right, I'm kind of over it today, dude. And that's fine because you're just going to write bad. You can't force like amazing scenes that you need it to be good. So, uh, yeah, you kind of feel it out. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to the next one. And for now, folks should go check out Beta Test. Uh, it is, as we said, available on all of your uh, streaming platforms to rent movies. Um, PJ and Jim, thanks so much for chatting today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much for being here. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphones. Um, and let the listener know where they may have seen your name on their television or movie screens, uh, what they may know you from. And Meg, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Meg Deloach. I am currently the showrunner of CBS's The Neighborhood, starring Cedric the Entertainer. Um, it airs on Monday nights at eight o'clock. Um, I also have another show that is streaming on Netflix that I created uh, called Family Reunion. We just got picked up for a season three. I'm super excited about that. Um, and I have been on a myriad of sitcoms over the past 20 plus years. Um, my first credit was on a show called Living Single. And then I went on staff uh, on Family Matters. Hi, I'm Reggie Rock-Bythewood. I'm the exec producer and 
creator of a new series called Swagger, which is appearing, uh, premieres on October 29th on Apple. Um, I uh, run a company with my wife, Gina Prince Bythewood, called Undisputed Cinema. We have a deal with Disney and hopefully we'll have some um, things that we can announce soon, some of the projects we're developing. And like Meg, you know, I, why well, I, I started my career, Meg, on, um, on a different world. That's where I first started writing. So we have that Yvette Lee Bowser connection because Yvette was on that show when I, uh, when I started writing. That's wild. And you've, you've also, uh, kicked around, it seems like in, in features and in TV, um, just looking at the list and, and we'll sort of, we'll get into all that. Yeah, yeah it's correct. It's like the, the 20, what was it? 25th anniversary of my first produced screenplay. Crazy about that, you know, get on a bus. So that was produced 25 years ago. And it's like, what the heck? So yeah, you know, um, worked in screenplays and, um, you know, a bunch of, you know, a couple of series and, uh, somehow I'm still here. My name is Peter McKenna. Um, I am the showrunner and creator of a show called Kin that was streaming on AMC plus. I also created a show a few years ago called Red Rock. There was an Irish show as well. It was picked up by BBC and, and Amazon. And I've worked on lots of other people's shows like The Last Kingdom on Netflix and a show that's coming out called Around the World in 80 Days and shows like this. So I've been kind of a mix of both working on other people's shows and creating and running my own shows. Yeah. Is is Kin the first of your shows to come across the pond? Is that right? It's the first show that was produced by an American studio, I guess. Bronze Studios produced it. Red Rock was purchased after the fact by Amazon and it was on Amazon. It was on Amazon Prime. But um, with Kin, Bronze Studios and AMC, produced a show and funded the show. I want to start by asking what you all are doing right now. What has your week looked like? You know, we've, the more I'm talking to people in the past year, the more I'm hearing like, it's ridiculous out there. It's the worst time it's ever been. Working is so much harder. Production is so much harder, more expensive. Um, Meg, I want to start with you because it sounds like you are, have been working simultaneously on two shows. <laughs> at least two shows in production. Um, luckily, they have not overlapped yet. Okay. Um, that may happen uh, early next year. But um, I will say it has been very challenging um, doing production in a COVID world. It's gotten better, um, a little bit easier. I think maybe it's just that we've gotten a little more accustomed to doing it. Um, you know, I still will walk you know, toward actors sometimes with just a face mask on for getting the shield and have to go running back or get yelled at. Um, but I will say uh, for a multicam um, person, mm -hmm. losing the audience um, and also not even having as many writers on stage to do punch up has taken some of the joy out of the job, the fun, the laughter, um, just the whole human interaction. I do miss it um, and can't wait till we can one day hopefully get back to the old way. Yeah. How have your uh, writer's rooms been these past couple of years? How have you been running them? How has that adjustment been? How do you feel about the whole process? We've primarily been doing Zoom. We attempted to do a hybrid um, at the beginning of the season for the neighborhood 
some people in person, some people, um, <coughs> excuse me, some people, uh, you know, via Zoom, it was a nightmare. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work well, you know, people in the room would forget about the people on the TV. Um, and then we had a positive, that was when breakthroughs were just starting, um, even though people were vaccinated and we ended up just ending back up on Zoom. So uh, we're doing Zoom and honestly, it's not it's not the same. Yeah, what do you think? I mean, you're, you're a comedy person here and I, I really am curious about like, it, I've been in comedy rooms and a comedy room needs the rhythm of the room, it feels like. And that's hard to capture on Zoom. So how have you gotten through that? You know, we, we, I, I encourage a lot of um, the writers trying to get a little downtime with each other. Um, you know, I feel like rooms tend to be very intimate and without having the chance to like, just talk to your neighbor or, you know, chat in the break room. Um, so much of that intimacy and camaraderie is lost. Um, and even in, you know, with jokes and tone and, you know, sometimes you can piss someone off and not even know it. Um, and if you're in a room together, it, it's usually much more readily apparent than if you're on a TV screen or on a, um, a, a t you know, a computer monitor. So I do encourage that we try to spend time together when we can, even if it's separately on Zoom. Um, and, you know, that we're gentle and, and kind with each other just in general um, with our comedy uh, to sort of help everybody through this time. I think that's really smart. And that's 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 good leadership. Um, <laughs> Reggie, let's talk about your your week. What's been happening? You know, Swagger's about to premiere. Uh, I'm sure you're probably doing some post at this point. But but you tell me, where are you? I am. Well, first of all, I'll tell you physically where I'm at is I'm in New York. I'm in a hotel in New York, because last night was our premiere party, you know, sort of launch party um, in Brooklyn. And it was actually fun because it's, you know, it was sort of like the first sort of premiere experience I've had since COVID. <laughs> so it was great. It was, it was there and there's some, I don't know, is it like social distance dancing? I don't know how much social distancing there was. You know, but um, so yeah, so um, so this week has really been uh, getting the word out on um on our show, and um, and in between that, you know, it's really would be really great to be in a position where I'm just here, kind of living in the moment and getting ready for the release. But of course, I have deadlines, and I'm like in between interviews and stuff, trying to figure out how to deliver a script. Um, so that's it, you know, um. Um, you know, with the, our company, Undisputed Cinema, we just opened up our writer's room. This is a Zoom writer's room and another show. And um, I don't know, I think there's like a big deal of how we're going to announce it or whatever. So excuse me for saying right now, but, um, which is also like really interesting and new for me because it's the first show that I've sold where I'm not writing, you know, so. You know, so I think so much of this is just like a really interesting, you know, learning experience. That's sort of where I find myself in between celebrating and, and stressing, which is such the writer's life at times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you about this um, mm -hmm. without going into specifics about what the show is like producing a show, doing it through your company, but not being the writer of the show. Tell me yeah. about that relationship with the show. No, that's so like 
we love, I don't know about you guys, but like we, we love other writers, right? We love stories. We want to help other writers bring their stories to the screen. And that seems like an amazing opportunity, but also we are storytellers. Yeah. So how do you start to uh, navigate that relationship? Well, it's going really great so far, but it's only the second day. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. Um, no, you know, I mean, I, you know, the reality is, um, yeah, I really am rooting for our, our showrunners and, um, and it's something that, you know, we're going to, you know, really learn how to do is like really, you know, but, but I've been, I've, I've been on the other side of it, you know? And so it, it's, you know, where I just really sort of ask myself what I want, which is really want somebody, you know, very supportive, will help fight the battles that, you know, need to be fought and really gives, um, you know, just like the greatest support possible. Um, it's also a show that I pitched though. And and so it's really finding a way to help guide and give space at the same time. And and and, and hopefully I'm gonna be doing, you know, a good job at that. And, you know, along with my uh, producing partner on this, um, you know, my wife, Gina. So hopefully we'll, you know, but two days in, it's going great. <laughs> that's good well good luck yeah can i ask a question always um i'm because i'm really intrigued i'm moving into a uh non-writing producer role on family reunion um and uh i'm i'm a little bit apprehensive because i'm used to being the hands-on writer um have have you felt any itch yet i mean i know it's only day two yeah yeah the, the great news is i'm too damn busy so that's a good thing <laughs> you know and i don't want to well I'm so committed to the subject matter that we're doing and, I'm, and, I, and I really love it. And in all sort of like normal circumstances, I would be writing it. Um, but I'm also just really curious um, and, and, and committed to learning how to delegate and, and give space and like champion you know, just really finding that balance between championing their voice while having my vision be executed in a certain way, you know? And um, it's, it's so it's challenging. And, and not challenging because they are doing anything great or bad. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a new um, muscle to exercise. And it, yeah, it seems like, it seems like an exciting one too. I mean, yeah. like it feels, it must feel in many ways, like, like running a room on sort of a different scale where you're trying to sort of gather these minds to help tell this story. But in this instance, you have to, you have to let it go a lot more than you do as the showrunner. Oh, well, I'll, I'll put that on the wall. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Uh, well, listen, you work for Disney now. I think that's their motto. <laughs> Peter, let's hear about your week. What are you working on? What is the state of things? Is there still work to be done on Kin? Is it all done? What are you up to? Kin season one is done, and, and that's all up on AMC at the moment. I'm actually working on season two, uh, and I'm waiting for a decision in the hope that it'll be picked up. But if it is picked up, we'll have to move quite quickly. So we'll need scripts banked and all that. So that it's kind of, I'm in that funny in-between world at the moment where, you know, it's it's almost harder in a funny way. Like when, when, when I started developing Kin, 
there's always a chance when you start developing a show that, that it won't get made, that it'll just, it'll be part of a development process and you accept that and it's part of it. But I find it more difficult having made one season and then writing on another season, waiting for somebody to make a decision to pick it up. I find this harder to write in this, in this thing. So I'm really not struggling, but, but it's a different weird feeling and I'm trying to write through it, which is fine. But the good part of that is, I'm at home, often with rooms and that you're away from home or you're living away from your kids or you're coming home on weekends or whatever. So it's nice. I'm, I'm back home and, you know, it's lovely being here and been spending time with my family and I'm working in my room and all, all that and getting ready for the, for the next season, hopefully. Did you have a writer's room on that first season or was this a No, we a didn't. Act? It was a solo act. But when I say it was a solo act, I, I did the writing, but... I worked with a story consultant called Fiona Series, who's, a, who's another writer and, you know, a colleague and a friend. And I'd worked with her before and we're very and I, I'd really value her opinion. So I worked with her and I worked with quite closely with a couple of uh, the execs from Bronze Studios, David Foley and Samantha Thomas. So between the four of us, we would discuss things at length and we worked the show through. Now, at the very beginning, the, we envisaged it probably would be a writer's room. But the way it went was like, I was commissioned to write a script. I wrote a second script. I wrote a third one. We weren't still sure what was happening. And then you get to the point where you're halfway through the season. And then it felt almost easier just to finish it off myself. And the process between myself, Fiona, David and Sam was so positive and collaborative and creative that it felt like a really, really good dynamic and why mess with that so we 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 kept going with that has that been has been the, that been the model for you how did red rock work was there room on that i mean that was seems like a, a much bigger sort of series red rock was like it was bigger in terms of the quantity but it was much like yeah. it in terms of budget and that it wasn't red rock we made like did we make 40 40 hours a year and we would uh, like shoot an episode in two days and, and and we would wow what we, and we would shoot them for like seventy thousand euros and I we had built a precinct and I if you looked at the police station my office was the upstairs and there would be times on that show particularly the beginning when we were finding our foot so there was lots of writers on we had a big room we had story producers we were always developing story and all that but it was also very much you know it was like making a TV show like an indie film. It was like guerrilla filmmaking, but we were making this, this long running TV show and we would make episodes and we would cut them and we would find them, you know, we're three minutes short. And then somebody would say to me, tomorrow you have these three characters in these two locations, write a standalone story with four scenes and you would write it in an afternoon and you'd shoot it. So it was kind of, wow. it, was, it was crazy and chaotic and brilliant. And everybody was really buying in together and there were so many writers and we were introducing, the ethos of the show was to introduce new writers and new directors. And actually uh, one of the, the lead director on Kin also worked on Red Rock. So it's, it, was, it was meant to be a kind of like bringing true talent in the Irish industry. Uh, and that was the ethos when we set it up. So it was a completely different model. Kin had a much, much bigger budget, had probably a much better known cast and, um, and I did it all myself. So it was completely, I've, I've done both models. That's really interesting. Um, I want to talk about, um, let's talk about origins. Uh, let's 
talk about how you all got started in this business. You know, I think I've shied away for a long time about asking how people broke in because I think no one, no two people break in the same way. Um, but I think there are lessons to be learned from folks breaking in stories. Um, and Reggie, let's start with you on this. It looks like you um, started out in the Disney Fellowship. Is that right? Yeah. Well, is that sort of the entree for you? Um, you know, I would say I probably discovered myself before the fellowship program. Sure. You know, um, and what I was doing was, was, you know, I'd written a couple of plays. Um, you know, I started out as an as an actor, and um, and then really, really became you know interested in in writing and and wrote a couple of plays and was thinking that I could be a writer wasn't sure. And then uh, someone encouraged me, a woman named Michelle Shea, um, who I acted on a show with, encouraged me to submit to the Disney's fellowship program. And, and at that time, you know, um, you know, I, I was told to submit a spec script and I had no idea what a spec script was. I had two one act plays. So I submitted the two one act plays and, you know, before I knew it, I was, um, brought out to, to Disney, the Disney Fellowship Program. And when I came out to LA from New York, kind of had two agendas. One was to you know, find out if I could really do this, like if I'm really a writer. I was, you know, really wanted to prove. And, and, and then the other thing is I wanted to pay off my student loans. <laughs> so, um, you know, after a year of being at the Disney Fellowship Program, I went into a interview to write a freelance episode on a different world. And at that time, Different World was my was my favorite sitcom for sure. And I um, so I had like something like 20 ideas to pitch, which is exactly what they want to hear. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And so I, 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 I don't know, I think I pitched maybe seven and they sort of said, okay, enough, <laughs> you know, wow. and, um, but I could tell it was, was good. And I really felt that I had a really, really good shot at getting a freelance episode. And um, I got a call, maybe it was that day or the next day. And I was told they weren't bringing me in for a freelance episode they're actually putting me on staff. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and so, you know, so it was incredible. And, and so I, um, you know, got my first staff position in a different world. Amazing. And, you know, and, and so that's, that's kind of how I broke in. Yeah. Let me ask, um, let me just dig deeper on a couple of these things. So once you entered the fellowship, is that where you got comfortable writing the TV format. I mean, you said you you came in like not even knowing what a spec script no, was. No, I would say no because I think that back then it was really really different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was the first year of the Disney Fellowship Program, and oh, wow. and and by the way, it was it was, and I had some you know really great executives and stuff that I was who, who I was working with, and in many ways it was um, encouraging, but like it was like back then, like everything had to be very sanitized and. Characters all had to like be overly likable, and it, and it didn't really. And and if I were to write a Disney show at that time, it, it um, 
you know, they didn't have shows of people of color and, and I really starting off my career, I really only wanted to write about black people. Like that's, that was like really where I came from. That's really just what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like I needed to write anything else to prove myself. Like I really felt like I wanted to tell very specific stories. So I really felt like it really started to get comfortable and, 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 and feel comfortable with, with my voice on a different world. Hmm. Um, a different world is where, you know, at that time, Susan Fields, Susan Fields Hill now, back then Susan Fields was, was the showrunner and um, a lot of women, strong women in that, just in, in, in that, not just the writer's room, but just in that production. You know, and it was just a really, that's an amazing way to start my career. And um, I would say like Susan Fails is probably still the best showrunner I've ever worked with in the sense that there was like no ego. It was just always challenging and and really made everyone from staff writer to producer really feel like they they had a voice. That's great. And yeah, that's something I want to pick up on uh, in a sec and talk about some of these rooms and what you all take from them. But Meg, let's talk about your uh, entry. You know, you talked about how Living Single was the first room. What what got you there? Um, I started out as uh, an assistant. Um, I was Keenan Wayans' personal assistant on one of the later seasons of In Living Color. Can't remember which one. Um, uh, from there, I was like, Keenan, I want to write. And he didn't think I was a sketch writer, so he made me a writer's assistant. And... Um, so I just started learning more and more about the sitcom format. Um, I was introduced to Yvette by her husband, Kyle Bowser, who was a Fox exec at the time. Uh, and she gave me a writer's assistant job, um, which led to my freelance episode. And then um, simultaneously, I was in, um, there was a, a screenwriting program uh, that Bill, Bo Bill Cosby had at USC. Um, and then there was, um, the Warner brothers workshop. And so I did one and then I did the other, which led to me getting on staff with, uh, um, God, I almost forgot the name of the show. <laughs> Family matters. <laughs> That's how old, oh my God, what a bet. Been so many years ago. Um, but yes, um, I got on staff of, uh, Family matters through the Warner brothers workshop. Yeah, and I probably had a similar experience with um, like Reggie with the workshop. Honestly, pretty much anyone who would get in was already ready to be a staff writer. It was like finishing school um, and, you know, very formulaic to the way television was being written at that time. Interesting. And did you sort of learn that language of television through being a writer's assistant? Yes, um, I definitely credit, uh, you know, working with Yvette Lee Bowser, um, and just spending time all day with the writers, you know, um, taking notes and getting them the opportunity to speak up and ask questions and pitch. Um, that's, that's where it came from. I think it's one of the best ways to come in. Um, if you, you know, aren't going to be somebody who's blessed to write the killer screenplay that just somebody says, here's your deal and let's go. Um, I think being a writer's assistant is, a uh, a really good way. It's not an easy way. It's a tough job. Um, 
made tougher by being so close to doing what you want to do and yet not doing it. Um, but I think it is a great way to meet a lot of people and to really learn. Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. I was wondering, have you ever heard the term match? A match? Match. Have you ever heard the term match? No. What do you, what do you mean by match? There was a term that, you know, whenever we were in a writer's room on a different world, which is like a really cold-blooded room, it was fun. But if you ever pitched a joke that died, Yvette was always there, match, you know, as if she was going to burn your <laughs> joke, you know, and it was sort of- Got you. Yeah. Got you. I've, more than likely, yes, then I've heard that term. Yvette can be cold when she wants to. Right. <laughs> I, I would think the other thing that was just really interesting for me, like working with Yvette, because um, I was a staff writer and she was a co-producer. And, you know, so I worked closely with her a couple of times. And it was like one of the best things that happened for me, one of the worst things, probably health wise. Yvette was the first person that I worked with that would do all nighters, you know, and and, you know, we were in our 20s. Well, we would like do these all-nighters. And the first time I did an all-nighter, I said, what do you bet on something? And it was like, what the heck was that? And it was, you know, and 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 still now I'm trying to break away from all the all-nighters. I started to do it, you know, but he, he bet used to just do these kind of marathon all-nighters. And um, so it was, just, it was just really, really interesting. I don't know if if, if you guys have, have done that or or continue to do that. I've since then try to not do that as much um but they're they, they get pretty brutal oh they do i i yes i i have been through my share of them and i mean you know weekly television sometimes you have no choice um things happen but i try to set up my life so that um i really use pre-production and a lot i i don't understand those writers that chill through pre-production and go to the movies and you know whatever they i'm like i um, you know, I'm doing an order of 22. Um, I believe I started um, production with uh, 12 scripts, 10 completely ready to go. Um, because that's the only way I feel like I can have a life. I'm also a single mom. Um, and also just not feel like I'm constantly, you know, behind, you know, you got to feed the beast and you always got to have scripts ready. Um, so I, and all nighters for me is just not where you get my best. I don't shine after 12. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I feel like I hear that a lot is like when the sun goes down, if it's getting to be like nine, 10 o'clock, you're not going to get your the best out of your writers. But, you know, as you're both saying, like sometimes, sometimes production necessitates it. You know, sometimes you have to do that stuff, but it, it feels like I'm hearing about it less and less. Also, orders are much smaller. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, Peter, tell us about getting your start in this industry. Um, what was the early stuff for you and how did you how did you come to TV? Well, it's funny, like, and it's really interesting listening to Reggie and Meg because they have such similar experiences and we have such a different model in this side of the world. We didn't have the rooms really when I was when I was starting out. We're just catching on to the showrunner model now. And quite often it's a it's a that wasn't my experience on Kim, but it's often a diluted showrunner where you're given the title, but you're a lead, a lead writer and an executive producer, but still a lot of the creative decisions are being made by producers on the show. That's 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 a model. Now, as I said, that was not my experience with Kim or with, with Red Rock. When I was starting out in the show, like I started 
I started late. I, I always wanted to be a writer, but it took me a long time to, to muster up the courage. And I think because when I was going through a lot of things that I didn't want to do, in the back of my mind, I would be thinking, well, it's all going to be fine when I'm a writer. And I was always afraid that I wouldn't be able to be a writer and that I'd have nothing to get me through the bad times. Because if I had failed at writing, there was nothing else I wanted to do. But eventually I worked in an art gallery uh, and the woman I worked with said to me, look, she goes, I'm giving you Thursdays off or Tuesdays off. And this was, and she goes, you don't have to come into work. She goes, I've set it all up. She goes, now you can go to the cinema or you can stay in bed or you can do whatever you want. But she goes, never say you didn't have the chance to be a writer. So I took my Tuesdays off and I wrote a script and then I got into it and I got funding through the Irish Film Board and I began to direct and make short films. And then in Ireland, there's very little television. Like there's like maybe two dramas a year and they both be maybe six episodes. So there's very little work. But 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 I got onto TV shows and I was very, very lucky. But the experience in the beginning was you were hired as an episode writer. You'd come in for a few meetings. There was no rooms. You'd work with your script editor. Often I'd work on shows and never meet the other writers. Like I'd see their names. I'd have no idea who they were, what they looked like. I'd get to the end of a job. And the only reason I'd know it's over is because my phone would stop ringing. And when my phone hadn't, I'd know we were in production and that nobody called me for a week or two. And I'd go, well, I guess that's over. And, and then they'd ring you up the next year. If they were recommissioned, they said, you want to do another episode or another two episodes? And that was the way I did it for a long time. And, and it was fine. But the changing thing for me was I got selected for a thing called the BBC Writers Academy run by a man called John York. And he's written a book on script writing called Into the Woods. It's a, it's a brilliant book and he's, he's amazing. And when you got onto that, you got to work on lots of different BBC shows and, and you got to work more in storylining and in rooms and all that. And that changed my career. So moving from Ireland to England and getting to work with all these people, people I'd grown up watching and admired. Uh, and then, then very soon after doing that and working on different BBC shows, John York was an executive in a TV company and he asked me to pitch for, for Red Rock. Did I have an idea for a show for this commission? And he made me the showrunner and things changed like that. But it really was getting to, like, my career began to change with the, the BBC Writers Academy and working on lots of shows in England. Uh, but but the model even now is not the same as it is in, in the US. We don't have the same clear paths or the claim saying it's a slightly kind of hybrid model, you know, we have here. So so it's fascinating hearing what Meg and Reggie did. Yeah. And I wonder if it's changing because the nature of TV is changing. I mean, things are shows are a lot more serialized, uh, more serialized than they ever have been. And it feels like that's a change that came here early on, but we already had the room system. And I wonder if rooms will become more prevalent because you need all those people along for the full ride. But it will become more prevalent and you can already see it. And I think there's two reasons. I think one, because like we watch, we consume so much American TV, like all the shows you watch, we watch too. And what we do is like American TV is almost like the gold standard. So there's a bit of like, how are they doing that? How are they producing these brilliant shows? And we should copy the model. So there is a desire within the industry to do that. Now, at the moment, producers make a lot of the decisions that showrunners do. In the, in the, and producers naturally are sometimes reluctant to give up that model. So there is a little bit of kind of like we have the, the Writers Guild in Ireland is fighting for that a bit to get more writers and get more showrunners. The other the other thing I've noticed, and this is my experience, is when you have 
when you have American companies and American streamers making shows in Ireland, they want showrunners because that's the model and they take it for granted. So that was my experience with Braun and AMC was that they were making an Irish show and they wanted like a showrunner to run it. So I had no problems, but it is changing, but it's it's changing slowly. But, uh, you know, and the, and I think... When I think when people in Ireland see this new model working and producing good television that's you know popular and entertaining and of a high quality, then 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 it'll move a little bit quicker. But like in all things, when when like creative power is changing hands, people are sometimes reluctant to give that up, and 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 sometimes you have to fight as a writer, you know. And as I said, my career is twenty five years. When I started. I had no idea. I would I would watch an episode and I would go, oh, they cast them. Oh, that's what that room looks like. Oh, they've they've put that on a boat now. And I'd watched it, it like me watching my own episodes was like like a journey of discovery as I realized what they'd done with my and that has changed, but that's taken time and it's still a process, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> I wonder, uh, Reggie, Mike, have you seen or have there been discussions with like the studios or networks that you've worked with where you see things going the other way? Like, I feel like we've had so much, quote unquote, auteur TV where entire 10 episode seasons are written by one person and they're great. Will is there a move towards that? Are people talking about that as something to aspire to? Well, first of all, let me just say one of the things I like about the you like about what industry is like when i first started it was really interesting because it was so sort of like are you a sitcom writer are you a drama writer are you a screenwriter and it was like well, i don't know i could i could tell a good joke here and there i could you know write drama you know and i want to write screenplays and so i like that it's not that anymore at least not as much so i find that a you know a lot of you know, like when you when you think of, um, let's say, like a 10 episode series, you know, maybe eight episode series. Part of the fun is that sometimes you think of it as a 10 hour film or eight hour film. So I, I think that a lot of folks that, you know, I don't know, perhaps come from the film world. Would like the idea of making it an eight hour film, whether you write all of them or you direct all of them. But I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Um, and I would say for me, on some level that has an appeal, but on some level it doesn't, <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, I really, I'll tell you one of the things I really enjoy. I mean, I really enjoy bringing in different collaborators, you know, I direct as well, so, but I, so I enjoy bringing in different directors and, and the collaboration of it. Um, but I could, but I also, you know, I also uh, understand the appeal of, Hey, I want to do an eight-hour film and just kind of execute it in that way. Um, I don't really feel like if I if I I don't know if I feel the industry is moving in that way. But I also think that it's good that it's not like it doesn't have to have these so these kind of rigid rules of this is the way that you have to do it. And you know, I actually do enjoy, which I think one of the things the industry has been has has moved to and and um I actually, I think the first time I did this was, wait, I, w I wanted to say it was shots fired, but no, I think we didn't 
and use that model. And then Swagger, it was definitely the model of 20 weeks of a writer's room, just bang out the scripts, and now we go into production. And while it takes longer, you know, I really, I don't know if I need any, when you work that right, it's really like, do I want to be working in um, I'm in the script and it's going to be shot next week. And like, I, you know, that space is really great and valuable, but I actually enjoy, give me 20 weeks. I, I, I have a room. I'll have to, like, my writers will get you a script and then we'll go into production. I, I really, I personally love that, that model. Yeah. I can see the appeal of it for sure. And it also, but it also feels, and Meg, you can speak to this, like, directly opposed you've done so much multicam stuff which has like that let's put on a show feeling <laughs> where like it's always catching up it's all you're always like a one step ahead of production or whatever the next deadline is um like i can't ever see those kinds of shows going this direction and i imagine that's part of the fun of it right i i think so i mean i would hate for um you know getting somebody else doing the casting for my show or um, me not getting to uh, carefully select the directors. And, you know, I, I love the position of showrunner um, and getting the opportunity to truly uh, craft a, a vision of some 300 people and being sort of at the head and melding it all together. Um, so I, I would be fighting for the old way and I'm not tend to be one to fight for old ways, but I would hold on to this as long as I could. I was gonna say, I certainly would not give you know, up the casting or, or the, you know, that that point. Like I, I wouldn't, I, I think I would honestly never work that way unless it wasn't, unless I was supporting other showrunners. But, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that I've found as well, um, the hesitancy that um, some showrunners have with actually dealing with cast, with casting, with editing. With, like, I feel like it's all a part, for, you know, for me, like it's all a part of our, our job is to really be good in the editing room to really know how to communicate with actors and writers, not just deliver a script, you know? And, you know, I, I think that that's one of the big appeals for, for me and just, I'll just, sorry. Just may keep saying things that, you know, spark certain things. I think the other thing, too, is when we talk about the COVID era, for me, um, you know, so we kind of had our, our writer's room and we were in person before everything shut down. But what sort of also changed during this pandemic was the, the, jo the job of a showrunner now was not just scripts and production. It was really like real leadership in terms of keeping people safe. And that's what, you know, for me is like kind of like elevated this position of showrunner. You have to like, that's, you know, I'd like to like beat the sort of COVID expert, you know, and read more stuff about COVID than I ever thought, you know, I would ever do. But I really felt like my job as a, as a showrunner was elevated in, in, in that way is just making sure I kept everybody safe. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we traditionally sort of shy away from the word leader and the term leadership because it sounds so lofty but that is what it becomes right i mean this is what you have to do you're not just the boss you are also a leader in a lot of ways and i think you're right that you know under these new extreme circumstances things were 
things things were put into a sharper relief in that way. Um, I want to pick up on this idea of sort of telling the story goes from beginning to end. And I think we don't talk about that a lot and like how casting and how editing and how all of that really is part of translating the story you want to see on the screen. Um, and I sort of open that up generally to all of you as a subject, because I think you can all speak to it. Like, what are the challenges in that, even in normal times uh, during production and post-production, but also what are the what are the joys of it? Well, I'll say um, one of the things that I always tell uh, young writers is to, um, if you're on staff, you know, is to spend time in the edit bay. I feel like you learn so much about your own writing, about anybody in, you know, any department shortcomings, you know, any mistake the director has made, all of it shows up in editing and how to fix it shows up in editing. Um, and I just think it's an invaluable skill. I've never truly had the desire to direct, but I do feel that I need to learn and, and do the exercise of directing to make myself a better writer showrunner. And I think that writers, as important as it is to write, um, depending on the kind of writer you wanna be, if you wanna be on a, a television show, I think you, I encourage you to dabble in all of the various departments and really understand how they work because um, it'll just make you better at what you do. You know, I, I would say like, and it's interesting listening to Reggie because I, I would find, I did direct when I, when I was starting out and I made short films and I discovered quite quickly I was a really bad director. I would write quite good scripts and make them much, much worse. So I, I realized that's not for me, but I have an understanding of it in a way. What I find the most kind of mysterious part of it is the acting. And, and like, of course, I talked to the actors and we discussed our characters and the story and all that. But there's something kind of amazing about that that like never kind of never grows old for me. When, when I was making Kin, I certainly I did a lot of writing on set. So what I, the mistake I probably made at Red Rock was I, I wrote in an office and then I'd come down to set when I was needed. But I found very quickly that when I would turn up on set, people would go, what's wrong? Why is he here? Is there a problem? So I kind of decided with Kin, I wasn't going to do that. I would just turn up every day and I would be there and I would have a desk behind the director and I'd just write scripts with headphones on. And I did that. And it was really interesting seeing the dynamics. And, and to, to go back to what Meg said, it's just being around everybody and seeing everybody work and seeing how, you know, it all comes together. And sometimes as a writer, certainly like in Ireland, possibly more than, than in the US, is you're removed from the production process. You work in isolation, you work in a room, you write your scripts, you hand them over, they're made. And, and I would completely kind of endorse what Meg says is like, be part of it, be part of the process because it informs your writing so much. Because I think when you're starting out sometimes, you feel that production is on your relationship as a writer sometimes with production is almost adversarial. You're almost feeling annoyed that they won't achieve how you see your show. Like you have it in your mind and if they don't do that for you, then there's a problem and the problem is theirs because they're not giving you what you want. When you become part of that process and you see how it works and how everybody is like working their, their butts off to make the best show, then you realize we're all in this together. And you know what they do informs your creative process as well. And I think that's really, really important for writers. It makes you a better writer and a more mature writer. And I, and I don't want to keep going on like to, to hog the limelight, but I would say I would completely agree about editing. And I would say I've 
for myself. I've learned so much in editing about my writing, about little things. I, I like even recently on a thing, I, I noticed I developed a tick of having the emotional high point of a scene in the middle of a scene for some reason, and then keep going for a while longer. And then and, and very quickly, I began to recognize it in my writing where we have to cut out earlier because I was just staying too long in scenes. But, but I didn't notice it on the page, nor did anyone else, but I noticed it in editing. And I noticed the way performer actors perform. I noticed the way so much, so many things, so much of the rhythms of the show are apparent in editing. And, and, and again, that informs when you write for these, when you write for these actors again for the next time when you see what what they're brilliant at and wh where they really shine it really helps to see them in editing so i would say as much as possible for writers get as much experience of every single aspect because it all helps you and it makes you a better writer yeah man i think that's really great that you know both, both you guys are you know you're talking about that and i mean what's unfortunate is that not every showrunner sees it that way not every showrunner affords their writers the opportunity to be in the editing room and and i'm not sure like that feels like a lost art to me it felt like when i was coming up it was sort of you know, expected and um i would certainly say for me like a game changer in my career was when i was on new york undercover and i spent a lot of time in the editing room i learned so much about editing and also, but just, you know, for, for all the reasons that you, you, you say how it impacts your writing, but just also, you know, and, and just even learning to use editing as a final rewrite. And, but also like being on set, allowing, you know, um, you know, in one camera world, um, you know, sometimes writers are allowed to be on set and sometimes not, you know, but you've learned so much about the process, just being on set and just like just even imagining and just understanding like how that helps shape a writer become a better producer and all the other you know even to the extent like you know I think the first time like I was not positive this the first time but I would certainly say quite a bit even just under the cover I was allowed to be in the mix stage and just like just learning all the aspects all the, the discipline of that is great and I do feel like that is a bit of a I don't know, lost art, if you will, because a lot of writers are just told to write and that's it. And they're not allowed, you know, the opportunity to see all the other aspects of the filmmaking, the TV making process. So I mean, I think it's really, really great that you allow writers to to do that. Yeah, it's it's come up here before, especially in the past, you know, year or so, that like because of shorter orders, because of, you know writers rooms where they do do like the 14 20 weeks and then production starts um, which can be an advantage obviously but it means that a generation of writers is not getting the experience to learn how to be on set to learn how to be in post-production all that really valuable stuff so hopefully you know well i know showrunners are aware of it hopefully that these studios and networks and streamers are aware of it too and that can that can change i was just going to say it in non-covid times i would encourage writers to ask you know like nobody has to pay you you know um but can i come be there can i can i get to know the editor you know they don't uh, most of the time they'll be like welcoming so I know COVID is weird, but, you know, in non-COVID times, I would hope that most people would open those doors. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I've I certainly, you know, even in this, you know, in, in both sort of structures, I've been encouraged, invited, sometimes mandated, you know, that, that, that our writers sit in the room because, because you have to learn that. 
you know, and I think that's the other interesting thing now too, because the, you know, particularly in this sort of, you know, 20 week room onto production space, um, you know, there's a big move and it's, it's not a negative necessarily. It could be, but, or it could be a positive, but you know, where you have producing directors, but sometimes those producing directors on, on some shows or from a studio philosophy takes the place of a writer going to help produce their, their, their episode. You know, I mean, like the New York and the cover, if I wrote it and sometimes I didn't write it, you know, I'd be sent to New York and I'd, be there you know as a you know and like you just learn so much of that and so i see that yeah yeah and i hate to see that go away and you know some people are able to figure that out but that's just you know invaluable as well i was just going to say one thing and it's slightly different it's 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 slightly uh tangential to what we were saying is what i found really helpful on kim was i involved the director at script stage so uh, so he would read the scripts before we went into production. And I found it really helpful getting his input on the scripts before we even shot them. And, and I think he found that and made him more kind of like involved and collaborative, but he gave like some very really, really helpful notes in terms of problems we might, you know, encompass in the in the in post and it really helped the scripts and, and i think the more people you involve in the creative process the more voices now you are obviously the final decisions are with the writer and the showrunner and what goes in but getting different people and different people's expertise on the story is really really i think that helps to, it helps to show and help makes it makes the storytelling much stronger yeah, I think I think that's great advice, even for people who are starting out, who are writing their sample scripts and stuff like that. Like, write that show that you want to see, but then let people read that script and and hear what they have to say. People from all different kinds of backgrounds and people who have, would have different roles in it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, we do need to. To wrap up, uh, you're all delightful. This has been great. Um, let's get those plugs. Kin is on AMC Plus. Uh, folks should check it out. Uh, we got Meg, you got The Neighborhood and Family Reunion coming up. Uh, Family Reunion's out right now on Netflix. Folks can watch two seasons. Um, and then the third season coming soon. <laughs> coming soon, end of next year. Great. Um, and then Swagger, uh, I think will already be on by the time people hear this and folks should absolutely check it out. Uh, it's really cool on Apple plus, um, let's talk about what you are watching on television these days. What is getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your family, your rooms, your loved ones? Uh, Peter, let's start with you. Well, I'm going to pick the really obvious and boring one, but, but, but I'm going to say it anyway, succession. Um, I've been so excited. I've watched the trailers. I couldn't wait for it to start. And I'm really, really loving that. And I sit down with my wife and it's it's that feeling you get with shows you really love, where from about like six o'clock in the evening, you know you're going to be watching it that evening and you're getting excited. And when I hear when I hear the theme tune and the opening credits, I don't even fast forward through them because I, I like to soak it all up and it and it triggers the endorphins in my brain. And I just have it. And then it's over and I go, God, I can wait a week for the next one. Um, Reggie, what are you watching these days? Um, baseball doesn't count, right? Um, Listen, I was watching eight hours of baseball a day for the past like four months. <laughs> right. And as of last week, I didn't know what to do with my life. <laughs> right. Um, 
Well, first of all, let me just say I haven't seen this season of succession just because I've been really slammed, but I can't wait to dig in. I mean, it's and and and, and um, you know, one of the things too, you, you know, like succession is like one of those shows where like Gina and I had this show. And so like that was a show that we'd love to watch together. So she yeah. production. So I don't know if I'll wait or if I'll just dig, but <laughs> but I love that. Um you know, really uh, had fun with Ted Lasso, um, much on the ground railroad. Um, um, yeah. So, you know, just um, a few things like that. These are all good answers. Meg, what are you watching these days? Um, I did just finish Squid Game. Um, I just, <laughs> oh, yeah. We all did. Yeah, you know, the curiosity. I mean, when you when that many people are talking about something, um, my second grader hasn't seen it, but they're coming back playing Squid Game <laughs> oh on the God. playground. Um, <laughs> um, and I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I um, you know, I, I didn't adore it, but I really did enjoy it. Um, and I literally last night just finished uh, Made on Netflix. I heard good things. Is it is it worth uh, investing? I, I enjoyed it. I you know um, it was a little slow for me, um, mm-hmm. but overall I did enjoy it. And um, you know I'm, I'm starting to get into this limited series thing. Um, you know uh, sometimes I don't want to commit if I feel like you know what if I love it and it's going to go away. But um, I went ahead and gave it a chance and I did enjoy it. So many comedy writers I talk to don't watch comedies. Uh, are you watching comedies? I watched Ted Lasso. Um, and okay. I was late to that. I, you know, started around the Emmys and I loved it, really enjoyed it. But it's it's hard to get me to watch a comedy. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I feel like I can do it better. Maybe that's the ego. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is hard when like that when you're living in that world so much to then put it on TV. You're like, all right, enough with the funny. Enough. It's, it's true. And then, you know, I go through my dark phases. I like a lot of true crime. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, that turns off the comedy yeah. brain. <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you all so much. Please come back anytime. I feel like we just uh, saw the tip of the iceberg today. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having me, Ben. Thank you.